I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Um, hello? Oh, jeez! You scared the hell out of me. I, I thought I was alone in here. Sorry, I really didn't want to bother you. Gwen? I- is that you? Yeah. Hi, Stacy. Oh, how'd you know it was me? I recognized your Jimmy Choo's beneath the stall. And your voice when you called your mom on your cell. Oh, God, you heard that? Yeah. And it's none of my business, but you are completely right about her being wrong about you thinking you're right all the time. Thank you. You know, I I didn't even hear you come in. I... I got here before you. Oh, no. I thought you'd just be in and out, so I just sat here in mortified silence. Cripes, Gwen, you're like a ninja over there. Next time, cough or fake a sneeze or something. I just read a whole issue of Cosmo. I know, this is embarrassing. I have public restroom anxiety. I can only work alone, you know? Oh, I do. I do. I thought I could wait you out. The longer you lasted, the more I was committed. If I'd known it would be 37 minutes, I'd have broken my silence a long time ago. Oh, you poor thing. Wait. You know, about 10 minutes ago, there was this noise. Oh, yes, it was me! Okay, oh my god! Oh, no, no, that's good. I'm relieved it was you. I thought it was the heel of my shoe. You know, they're knockoffs. Look, can I borrow... Well, not borrow... Do you have any TP? Oh, sweetie, I'm sorry. I used the last of it. Ah, there's never enough TP in here. I better know where it all goes. Have you noticed the expanding rack on Tanya in sales? You think she stuffs? Oh, like she can afford surgery. Stuffing? That is so old school. (coughs) Pardon me, ladies. (gasps) Hi, it's uh, Bob Miller. Uh, According to company policy, Tanya's bosom is not an appropriate matter for discussion. Not appropriate? What the hell? Bob, you're the pervo hanging out in the ladies' room. Well, no, actually, that's Lyle from Maintenance. You're no better. We should report you to HR. I am the director of HR, and since my old office became the nursing mother's breast-pumping lounge, (laughs) stall number three has become my new office, so I welcome your complaints about the matter. I'll add them to a fat stack of my own. Well, uh, how about you make yourself useful, Bob, and hand Gwen some toilet paper? Uh, now's not really a good time. I'm in a meeting with Jim Thompson about the new benefits package. Oh! Hello. Hi. Okay, Gwen. I'm going to run over to the last stall and grab you some TP, and then your nightmare will end. Ooh, uh, enter at your own risk, Stacy. You'll find more strange noises, bold language, and questionable poetry than in any ladies' restroom you've ever known. That stall has been adapted to another purpose as well. What is it? It's... It's... From the beautiful Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon, where there hasn't been this kind of TP shortage since the Trail of Tears, it's Livewire! And now it's the host of Livewire, who used to steal toilet paper from rich, swanky bathrooms to give it to deserving high schoolers for their TPing needs. Courtney Hammeister! Thanks for coming out, everybody. We have a great show for you tonight. We have got writer, director, comedian, and New York Times columnist who just brought down the house at Portland's Back Fence PDX storytelling series. Joanna Stein is here with us tonight. We also have, yay, Joanna. 
We also have the man who co-authored Three Cups of Tea, the New York Times bestseller, which sold four million copies here, to talk about his next book, See How They Shine. David Oliver Rellin is with us. And tonight's band is an Americana outfit out of Seattle, about to release their second record, Tidelands. The Moondoggies are here. But first, please meet the members of Faces for Radio Theater, Mr. Tyler Hughes, Paul Glazier, the beautiful Laura Faye Smith, our siren of sound, Pat Janowski, and as usual, poet Scott Poole, the author of Hiding from Salesmen will be in our audience. He'll be writing during the entire hour, and then at the end of the show, he'll present us with a poem that encompasses everything we've learned during the course of the night. Welcome, Scott. Get writing. And of course, we can't do it all without Ralph Huntley and the Mutton Chops. Thanks, Ralph. Well, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but October is National Arts and Humanity Month. And Oregon is celebrating with events all over the state on October 1st through 8th. And they're actually asking for people to to post their cultural confessions at OregonDaysOfCulture.org. So because we're doing that, I felt like uh, I should maybe uh, give you a cultural confession of my own just to kind of get the ball rolling. Uh, So my cultural confession is the following. In middle school, on a regular basis, I would go into my closet with a brush and practice my Oscar speech for best actress in a motion picture. Um, And since I'll probably never be able to actually give that speech in Los Angeles, I thought I could maybe try to recreate it for you guys tonight. Thanks. So I'm going to try to get into... (sighs) Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, this, this is so unexpected. I never thought in a million years that I would be winning this. This is, hello, shocker. <laughs> and to have it be for a movie that I feel so strongly about, about a disease that I also feel so strongly about. And, and, and also, I, I loved working with with my favorite actor and husband, Michael J. Fox. Uh, It was a total joy. Um, I love you, honey. And um, I want to thank my director, Aaron Spelling, and my co-stars, Jacqueline Smith. Jackie, you look gorgeous. And of course, uh, Stacey Klein, who I have been working with since our middle school production of Menses Schmenses, Your Ovaries and You. It really got us out there and Go Jackson Jaguars, right, Stacy? But most of all, most of all, I want to thank Jennifer Childress for nothing. The fact that you didn't invite me to your ice cream social just because I said your Baswegians were fake has had absolutely no bearing on my career whatsoever, and if anything, it has only served to make me more popular than ever because your ice cream socials suck. Oh, oh no, they're playing me off. Um, But thanks to the Academy, and thanks to everybody, except Jennifer. Thanks. Good night, everybody. It's probably best that I didn't go into film acting, because that would have been humiliating for everybody, mostly me. Well, first up tonight is a band that's a large part of Seattle's current thriving music scene. Their last album, Don't Be a Stranger, was listed as one of the 11 best records of 2008 by NPR's All Songs Considered. 11 best albums. Somebody couldn't choose, could they? (laughs) They're Americana, they're roots rock, they're folk pop, uh, but whatever you want to call them, their three-part harmonies and lush instrumentation will lull you into thinking that everything's going to be all right which it very well might be. Please welcome the Moon Doggies to Livewire. Thank you. Fly, mama, fly. You'll find no answers here. Fly, mama, fly. 
find no answers here In the middle of the night In the middle of the night I ain't gonna say I've been bitter I already know what she would say It's just another bad day
That was the Moon Doggies, and you're listening to Live Wire Radio with music, conversation, and comedy. We're like a great date, but without the possibility that we'll eventually get together and then break up after we find out that you've been cheating on us with this American life. You public radio hussy. Coming up, storyteller Joanna Stein, author David Rellin, and poet Scott Poole. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Livewire. Technical support, this is Mitch. How can I help you? Hi, yeah, my internet isn't working. Okay, what's your account number? Uh, 4275-Z-818. Okay, Miss Berkshire, can you tell me if your modem's plugged in? Of course it is. Sorry, have to ask. You'd be amazed at some of the calls we get, just like, Birkin, 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 what's electricity? dip? <laughs> I know, it's fine. Anyway, um, can you tell me how many lights are on where it says data? Uh, none. None? Really? Okay, weird, because I show you have a signal. Can you hold, please? Sure. I just Miss Berkshire. Oh. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, so what I'm going to need you to do that is... That was so cute. What was cute? What you did with the song. I'm not sure what you're talking about. I just called to say I love you, and we're on the phone, and we had that moment now. <laughs> Ma'am, I'm not... Uh... You know, it's pretty sudden, but I have to say I felt something, too. Uh, okay, uh, can we get back to your problem? No, oh, fine, whatever. <laughs> you. <laughs> <clears throat> can you unplug it and plug it back in? Uh, unplugging and plugging it back in? <laughs> unplugging and plugging, I get what you're saying, okay? <laughs> How many lights are on now? None. Not even flashing? Flashing! Oh, no, no flashing. All right. I'm going to have to put you on hold again. Fine. Oh, are you? Oh, oh my. Oh, oh. oh my gosh. Okay, ma'am. Oh my gosh, yes. Um. I'm sorry? Yes, I do. I will. Yes to it all because... Honey, you are my shining star. Is it Mitch? I think it's Mitch. And don't you go away, Mitch. Oh, baby. Wow. I am really uncomfortable. Are you Mitch? Uh, hold, please. Oh, Mitch, it's okay. Oh, dang it. Thank you for holding. We appreciate your business. While you're waiting, consider our super freaky fast internet and cable combo. You'll never want to go outside again. Okay, ma'am, I'm going to have to... Who is she? Who's who? We appreciate your business. Who's we, Mitch? Who's we? I don't... I knew you would do this. I knew that when things got real, you wouldn't be able to handle it. And you would do something to sabotage us. You're a commitment-phobe, just like every other internet technical support guy. And you've ended us. Well, 
Congratulations, you coward. Alrighty. I'm going to transfer you to my manager. You have a good day. Go to hell. Oh, really? Well, how's this? I never really loved you. I was just faking it so you'd upgrade. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> Suck on that. I'm a commitment phobe. I'm a commitment phobe. You won't even sign a six-month contract. What? I'm a freelancer. I never know when I'm going to have the money. No, just save it. <laughs> save it for someone who gives a damn. Please hold. This is Larry. Oh my God, it hurts. It just, you know. <laughs> yes, I do, ma'am. Yes, I do. Would you like to sign up for a month of Lifetime movies today? Yes, I would. <laughs> Good call. I'll sign you up. Please hold. This is the end. Yeah. Our next guest is a writer, director, comedian, and columnist. Uh, her blog, Mother Eft, features essays on the trials of motherhood that have also appeared in the New York Times Motherload column. She's performed at the HBO Comedy Arts Festival. She's written a sketch comedy show for the Oxygen Network and directed the short Sorority Sluts 3, Spring Break, The Outtakes, which played at festivals around the world and is one of the most watched videos on funnyordie.com. She was recently a storyteller at Portland's Backfence PDX Storytelling Series. Please welcome Joanna Stein to Livewire. So I'm at the airport with my daughter and the guy she calls Dada. We are about to board a Florida-bound plane to visit my mother-in-law, but the child is losing her sh**. <laughs> After two years of being the perfect travel companion, she has suddenly developed a fear of flying. I wonder if maybe she's worked out the physics of what we are about to do. Perhaps she has come to realize, as I have, that manned flight is a practical impossibility and is certain to end in our fiery deaths. <laughs> or maybe she's just toying with me. Whatever is going on in that reptilian brain of hers, she is yelling at the top of her lungs, No way, way! No way, way! as we board the aircraft and take refuge in our bulkhead seats. People file past us with looks of pity and horror, but mostly relief that they're not sitting next to the kid who's screaming like a mongoose that's been stabbed with a rusty steak knife. <laughs> At this point, the husband and I do the only thing we can do. We turn on each other. <laughs> he, he glares at me and I glare back an exchange which every parent recognizes as the I will divorce you in the next four seconds unless you fix this glare. His response is to rub her back and say, it's gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay, over and over and over. Since that is just slightly less annoying than the screaming, I take control of the situation by ransacking the diaper bag in hopes that something in there might distract her. Snack pack? Uh, stuffed animal? Uh, crayons? Super plus tampon hanging out of a torn wrapper? <laughs> Nothing works. She just gets redder and louder. I reach into the wall pocket in front of me and pull out a Sky Mall magazine. Nothing thrills me more than the Sky Mall. <laughs> Where else can you buy a one-person submarine for only $9,000? <laughs> but the child does not share my love for the Mall of the Sky. She just rips the magazine out of my hand and flings it, and the tampon, onto the lap of a businessman sitting two rows back. <laughs> Suddenly, the flight attendant's voice comes over the loudspeaker. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot take off until everyone... 
she is clearly referring to me, takes their seats. As a last-ditch effort, I grab an air sickness bag, draw a face on it, reach inside, and say the funniest thing I can think of. Ooga booga. The kid stops crying, then smiles, then giggles. More puppet, I ask. Mo papa, she says. The orange level threat has been averted. I couldn't be prouder if I just disarmed a hijacker with a uniball pen and a lavender-scented sleep mask. I think perhaps I should write a parenting book or, or maybe a, a column, yes, a column in the New York Times in which I offer helpful parenting tips like keeping your cool amidst kitty chaos and changing the world one diaper at a time. The child, now human again, interrupts my fantasy publishing life. Mo papa, mama. I kiss her head then thank the gods above for blessing me with such natural parenting ability, and think to myself, sure, one puppet's fine, but two puppets? Now that's a show. I reach into the wall pocket in front of my husband's seat and take out his air sickness bag. I draw another face, giving it curly hair and glasses so that it looks like me. Nice touch. And I stick my hand inside. And then my world contracts. Seems this air sickness bag has been used before. <laughs> but not for a puppet show. <laughs> no, no, it's been used for the purpose that God intended. Yes, there's puke in them thar folds. My husband looks at me, understanding immediately what has happened. He is horrified, though I think I see the tiniest hint of a smile creep across his face. <laughs> After deciding to divorce him the minute we touch down, I turn to the matter at hand. On hand. It's on my hand! You think that having a child has prepared you for the bodily functions of humanity until you find yourself wearing a glove made of the puke of a stranger. I spring out of my seat, afflict a digit still in bag, and make my way to the bathroom in the back of the plane. But the aisle is blocked with humans lumbering to their seats. I want to crawl between their legs, leapfrog over them, fatally stab the stewardess if I have to, whatever it takes to get to that bathroom. Finally, I claw open the lavatory door and lock myself in. I take a deep breath, then pull out the hand. It is covered in a substance that is wet, thick, bubbly and sprinkled with flecks of something. Honey roasted peanuts, perhaps. As I scrub my hand till it's raw, I consider saving the bag for its DNA just in case I acquire some rare, undefined flesh-eating virus and need to ID the mystery cookie tosser. But now I think I'd rather go to my death than have to look into the face of the person whose guts I have touched. Now clean... I take a moment to shudder and then to marvel at what has occurred. Roughly two million people fly the friendly American skies every day. How many of those travelers reach for and then actually use an air sickness bag? And of those phantom pukers, how many would choose to put the vomit-filled vessel back into the seat pocket? <laughs> and then, what's the probability that a cleaning crew would overlook this sack of sick? And finally, what are the odds that all of this would become the perfect setup for one arrogant moron who attempts to make a hand puppet out of a barf bag? Me. <laughs> As I leave the bathroom, I stare into the faces of the last hurried stragglers boarding the plane. They look agitated, each one facing the prospect of a middle seat. You think that's bad? I want to say, if that's the worst thing that happens to you today, then you, my friend, have hit the jackpot, because you're looking at a woman who was seen into the abyss. But I don't say that. Instead, I hurry back to my seat where the child is now sleeping, clutching the puke-free puke bag to her chest like a teddy bear. Normally, 
An event like this would send me into a rage long enough to write at least half of an angry letter. But as I watch her sleep, my anger deflates. I will not condemn this barfing bandit whose moment of lapsed judgment has made my list of life's most disgusting experiences. Who am I to judge? If somebody filmed all of my questionable life moments, then edited them together, the resulting movie would be about three hours shorter than my actual lifespan. <laughs> True. All I can do is chalk this one up to experience. Parenthood is a minefield of unpredictability. Sometimes the minds are made of tears, sometimes they're made of undigested food. Anyway, it's possible that the occurrence of this mathematical improbability has created something of a statistical vortex, one in which we are virtually guaranteed that this plane will land safely. So, thank you, former passenger of seat 1B, wherever you are, for saving our lives with a single well-placed heave. Joanna Stein. Listening to Livewire, the radio variety show created by a generation raised with the power of the remote control. For more information, visit our website at livewireradio.org. Uh, our next guest co-wrote Three Cups of Tea, a book about Greg Mortensen's work building schools in Central Asia. The book sold four million copies and was on the New York Times bestseller list for three years. Now David has a new focus. It's his next book, See How They Shine. It's about a group of doctors who are trying to end preventable blindness in places like Ethiopia, where Sanduk Ruit has developed a cataract surgery that can be performed on hundreds of people a day for under $20 a patient. Please welcome David Oliver Rellin to Livewire. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you. It's very confusing to be here. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's just there's so much hubbub and 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 um, mirth, and mm-hmm. um, I'm just terrified I'm going to bring everybody down talking about poverty and ignorance. No, no we love poverty and ignorance. Um, <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, your story is really fascinating, and um, I did want to. I did want to go back to three cups of tea just briefly. I th- it was such. Uh, it was such a, obviously a grueling trip for you. The research, and then it was really a grueling. You did so much uh, traveling and talking about the book as well. What did you learn during that whole experience that you actually brought into this next project? Uh, I I think I sort of learned what it feels like to be a double wide that's picked up by a tornado um, and then spun around and uh, carried for three years um, amidst a lot of flying debris. I I can't emphasize how strange the experience was. Um, I had, you know, the process of writing a book is very weird and uh, um, individualistic and lonely and I'm sure some of you have seen me haunting Portland's coffee shops, mumbling to myself. That's about as much human contact as you have during the process. And then suddenly I was traveling and signing books and um, being stalked by very strange people. And uh, so mostly I learned that this whole business of quasi-celebrity that the country is um, so obsessed with is very strange and kind of pointless. Um, but I also learned it's nice to sell a lot of books. Yes. Isn't it? It is. Isn't it lovely? Yeah. <laughs> so you've discovered this, this, new, this new project. Um, and it's the Himalayan Cataract Project is sort of what it's centered around. Can you talk a little bit about what that project is? Yeah. Well, just, just to sort of follow up on what we were just discussing, um, after Three Cups of Tea, I was kind of being stalked by every do-gooder in America. I mean, in the nicest possible way, but 
stock nonetheless. Right, so if, if people haven't read the book, um, you went with Greg Mortensen to Pakistan. Yeah, I traveled, I made three trips to the northern areas of Pakistan, the place we read so much about in the news currently, and um, I wrote about his effort to build schools. There are currently 168 of them, primarily for girls in the um, border areas of Pakistan and Afghanistan. And the nicest thing about that whole process was not only that it sold a lot of books, but that money came pouring into the organization, which helped fund the building of, you know, quite a few of these schools. Which is so, why you're stocked now. Which is, which why, is why you're which stocked. Is why, well, which is why <laughs> I started getting stocked by extremely polite people um, who were uh, doing things like building schools and running orphanages and attempting to cure perhaps even the disease you felt so strongly about in your um, Academy Award acceptance speech. <laughs> right. Um, but most of them had, you know, really dedicated missions in life and stories that would put you to sleep. Mm-hmm. So it took quite a, you know, bit of sifting through them before I found one that I thought would keep people awake. And which story, and who's, it was Dr. Dr. So this Tabin's is the, story. this is the story of Jeff Tabin and Dr. Sandek Ruit. Um, Tabin, who's an American, and Ruit, who's from a village like the villages in Three Cups of Tea, a small high mountain village without schools or electricity. And this guy became, you know, after his parents walked him 17 days to the nearest school, he became the top medical student in India, invented a type of surgery to cure cataract disease, and then partnering with Dr. Tabin, the American, they've taken this process and are attempting to teach this surgery and spread um, this technique around the world. And it's not just that they can do it. I mean, you uh, told an amazing story in a National Geographic article about 800 surgeries that took place over the course of, was it a week? It was supposed to be five days, right? It was supposed to be five days. I've spent the last two and a half years working as the least qualified medical technician on earth. Right. Um, Traveling with Tabin and with Ruit and assisting in the operating room. And what these guys do is they'll go to a place like Quiha, Ethiopia, where we were, and take over a small hospital or a school and send out word that if you're blind and you have a curable condition, um, you can show up and be cured for free. We were supposed to be there for five days. 2,000 people showed up. Um, Ethiopia is one of the places that has one of the highest rates of blindness on earth. And Of those 2,000 people, about 800 had the type of problems that could be cured very simply. And so we all stayed longer until all the patients were seen. And over 800 of the sightless patients walked home um, with perfect vision. It was, yeah, it's an amazing story. Um, What was it like for you the first time that you watched one of the patients regain their sight because they it was it's pretty immediate right they do it and then they come back the next day well let me if i can just give you a tiny bit of context most of the blindness in the world comes from poverty you know in our country and in wealthy countries people are blind because they have incurable conditions but three out of four of the people in the world who are blind don't have to be they're blind because they're poor and a surgery in the U.S. to cure, say, cataract disease, which is the world's leading cause of blindness, costs about $3,000. These guys figured out a way to do it for 15 bucks a patient. And because of that, they're able to do this in incredible volume. And so the first time I saw this, I was actually in Nepal doing something else. I was traveling with Sherpas and raising money for their schools. And I was asked by this very polite stalker doctor if I'd please look in (laughs) on his project. And I watched the patients go through surgery, and I sat down with them the following morning when the bandages came off. And there were people who had been blind for years who were suddenly seeing their children or their grandchildren or their husband uh, for the first time. And there's one woman in particular. Her name was Padali Nepali. She hadn't seen her husband for five years. And I squatted in front of her waiting for this great moment, and the bandages came off. And all of a sudden, she could see, and unfortunately, what she could see was this sweaty American journalist (laughs) squatting in front of her. Um, And so I turned to her and said, no, no, look at your husband. Look at your husband. That's, you know, that's what you should see the first time your sight's restored. And um, she did, and they threw their arms around each other. And I said, well, how does he look? And she said, the same. (laughs) 
still handsome. Oh. So that was, that was the moment that I knew I wanted to write a book about this. And that was two and a half years ago, and I've been chasing these guys around and taping eyes and, and doing an enthusiastically bad job ever since in the <laughs> operating room. Well, what, first of all, I mean, Dr. Tabin, from your account, it's, it, he, he in, sort of invented bungee jumping. Um, he's a mountain climber. Um, he, he seems like a force of nature. What's it like trying to follow a force of nature around Ethiopia as a mortal? Um, well, this is radio, so the, um, the radio audience can't see my incredible rippling physique. But um, basically... Um, uh, following around one of the greatest natural athletes on earth um, is a real pain in the ass. And, <laughs> and many, many things about uh, Jeff Tabin are very frustrating. He's the most frustratingly accomplished person I've ever met. He went to Harvard Medical School, Oxford, got a degree in philosophy, climbed the last unclimbed face of Everest, was the fourth person to climb the seven summits, and invented bungee jumping. And it's just, it's annoying. Um, and uh, oh, oh I, I think I left out played professional tennis briefly mm-hmm. uh, was the yo-yo champion of Illinois at age 12 it's just like you scratch the surface it just gets worse and worse so, <laughs> so fortunately he's actually doing some good in the world mm-hmm. and he's harnessed that incredible energy and those talents to cure preventable blindness. You've actually, with both of these doctors, with Greg, you've spent so much time with these people who are forces of nature and world changers. Is there anything that you've seen about them, any sort of thread that you recognize as something that, that causes a person to be this, this way? Um, incredibly poor judgment. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I think in, in the case of all three of these guys that I'm talking about, all of them have been in um, death-defying situations. Greg Mortensen was kidnapped and held for eight days by armed guards. Um, Tabin and Ruet were held by Maoist insurgents uh, in Nepal. All of these guys came up against obstacles, like I said, that would have turned most people away. And the thread that runs through them is uh, stubbornness. And just an ability to put up with discomfort and danger and keep going. Hopefully people will read your National Geographic article about this and they'll get a little taste of what the book's going to be like. Is there somewhere that people can go, a website, to find out more about the project and maybe donate to yeah, it? Yeah, probably the, the best place to go uh, to learn about all of this is the Himalayan Cataract Project's website, which is cureblindness.org. Okay. And that has a link to the National Geographic story. That would be the best uh, place I could send you. Great. And when is the book going to be out? The book um, is due in February, and it should be out in the fall of 2011, and it's called See How They Shine. So that's the plan. We're looking forward to it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. David Oliver Rellin, everybody. You're listening to Livewire Radio, and it's time for the... Audience IQ! So this time around, in honor of National Arts and Humanities Month and Oregon Days of Culture, we have solicited our audience's own secret cultural passions or confessions, if you will, in the form of haiku. Faces Radio Theater have chosen their favorites and will now read them with the help of Mr. Ralph Huntley. Tonight's audience haiku is brought to you by the New Belgium Brewing Company, this month featuring their Hoptober Golden Ale. Featuring five hops and wheat malt mashed with rye and oats, it's a beer that's rather cultured itself. Take one or three with you in your pocket to the opera and see how much it enhances your cultural experience. (laughs) Thanks, New Belgium. And now audience haiku. All right, I have one by uh, Rachel. Uh, Ralph, can I get some musical accompaniment? Something maybe uh, Arabian or Mediterranean, but with uh, a certain measure of self-loathing.
Portland pariah, oddball, outcast, and weirdo. I detest hummus. That's Rachel. Thank you, Rachel. Okay, Ralph, can I get something a little sexy, a little naughty, a little bow chicka bowie? <laughs> Slept with the drummer. We twirled our sticks together. Then, bang, 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 bang. Thanks, Kelly. And now, from the Livewire audience, to read his very own haiku, please welcome Kevin. Can I have something a little Tom Waits vibe? Live wire performance. I laugh. I cry. Mostly laugh. Beats drinking alone. Thank you, Kevin. And now we have a very special haiku reader. Uh, Nick Fish is a Portland City Commissioner. He sits on the board of the Oregon Cultural Trust. He's a passionate supporter of the arts and culture, and now he has his own cultural confession. Thank Welcome, you. Nick. Thank you. Hi. Could I have something somber? Sure. <laughs> Fish. Blind as a bat. Only paintings he can see are in the abstract. Well, it's... I didn't write it. It, it was a group effort. Have me back next year. I'll sharpen the craft here. It's, a, it's just a, it's a start. You need a new prescription is what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> so you're, uh, you are here in support of Oregon Days of Culture. I am. It's a chance to you know, highlight and celebrate all of our arts, uh, heritage and culture. So what we're doing is asking people to participate. So everybody in your audience here can be a patron. They can buy a ticket to a show. They can go to a gallery. They can buy a piece of art. Everybody can uh, kick in. And if they want to know more about it, they can go to culturaltrust.org. Does anyone here know how the Oregon Cultural Trust works? Okay, so here's how it works. Let's say that 20,000 people in Oregon listen to Livewire. And let's say everybody writes a check for $100 sometime between now and the end of uh, December. Yes, please. Okay, let's say we do that, and I'll be the first to do it. So let's say also you go online to culturaltrust.org and you make a $100 contribution to the Oregon Cultural Trust. Here's what happens. You deduct $100 off your taxes, so it's not actually costing you $100 to contribute to Livewire. The $100 to the Oregon Cultural Trust is a tax credit, and you get it right back on your taxes. So the net cost to you is $75, and for that, you not only support Livewire, but you add $100 to our endowment statewide for the arts. Let's pony up and support the arts. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much Thank for you. joining Thank us. Thank you very Nick much. Fish, everybody. <laughs> Music tonight brought to you by Dave's Killer Bread and the bread of the week, Rockin' Rye. With whole grains and sweet caraway rye, he can tune your bass, tease your hair, and teach you the guitar solo to Stairway to Heaven. Dave's Killer Breads, just say no to bread on drugs. Coming up, writer Margaret Malone, The Oatmeal's Matthew Inman, and poet Scott Poole. We'll be right back. <laughs> Thank you. 
gentlemen once again moon doggies He's been toiling all alone with his underwood and his bourbon and his cigarette 
while we've been all watching the show. Now to help us digest everything that we've seen in the last hour, please welcome back poet Scott Poole. What I Learned Tonight by Scott Poole. I learned tonight, don't assume too much. Don't assume that your air sickness bag is going to be empty. (laughs) That the cushy insides of any potential paper puppet is willing to welcome your wiry wrist. And that your three-year-old won't just go, Don't assume that everyone loves your Employee of the Month award, that at some point in the future your teenager won't cross out employee and write stoner and sharpie over it and put it on his dorm room wall. (laughs) Don't assume anyone won't hear you give your 10-year-old hairbrush Oscar speech filled with the just desserts of every frenemy you've ever had, because they'll find out. Oh yes, they will. Don't assume that you'll be able to be in a roots rock band like the Moon Doggies because you play a mean kazoo in your bedroom closet. Don't assume that your clothes will start swinging to the simple beat and the sonorous buzz of your eyes closed in the sweet, sweet serenade of all your stuffed animals. Don't assume that your game of risk will start swishing its Irkutsk armies. Don't assume Stratego won't get jealous and your gym shoes Open mouth yawns won't build bass notes through your quivering knees. Don't assume that your old pages of homework won't fall flittingly past your eyelashes like so much fall leaf confetti falling in an auditorium drowning in the applause of all your years. Assumptions are just a calendar from which all the dates will slip. Just go ahead and call technical support, even if you're not technical or don't need support. (laughs) Just go ahead and fall in love with anyone on the phone. Pretend like you actually own a computer. When they say, can you ping your server's IP? Just go ahead and laugh hysterically at this and wave your hand above your head. (laughs) Just go ahead and assist in the operating room. Don't assume that you can't do it because Jeff Tabin did. Because maybe you can't but you'll never know if no one cares enough to tell you this. Just go ahead and save your Oscar speech. Sew it into the lining of your underwear if you need to. Just go ahead, trust me, you're going to need it someday. Thank you. Scott Poole, everybody. That's our show for tonight. Thank you so much for coming out. to our guests tonight, Joanna Stein, David Oliver Rellin, Nick Fish, and Moondoggies. The Mutton Chops were Ralph Huntley, Jim Brumberg, and Dave Jorgensen. Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Fitch and Associates, The Falcon Art Community, Willamette Week, and Buchanan, Angeli, Altschul, and Sullivan. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Oregon Cultural Trust, the Miller Foundation, and listeners such as you fine people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by Hotel Deluxe. Livewire is created and produced by Kay Sokoloff and Robin Tannenbaum. Technical production by Jim Brumberg from Mississippi Studios. Recording engineering by Jonathan Newsom. House sound by Jeff Hilton Simmons. Special thanks to the Rose City Sound. The Faces for Radio Theater are writers Courtney Haumeister, Tyler Hughes, and Sean McGrath. And performers Laura Faye Smith, Paul Glazier, and Siren of Sound, Pat Janowski. Livewire's house poet is Scott Poole. This show's guest writer was Timmy Williams of The Whitest Kids You Know on the Independent Film Channel. Production management and lighting by Drew Flynn. Stage management by Stephen Alexander. Theme by Courtney Mondrelli and Ralph Huntley. Craft services by Old Wives Tales. Graphic and web design by Danger Creative. Web development by Amalgamotion. Podcast consulting by Morley Studios. Our operations manager is Adrian Schaefer. Publicity by Cassell Communications. Thanks to Joe Cawley, Adam East, and the entire staff at the Alberta Rose Theater. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at livewireradio.org. This is Tyler Hughes working on a new catchphrase. Can't decide between Kung Fu Dynamite and, well, I'll be a naughty tween. Write in with your vote. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be 
one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast. 